One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Very good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It feels like we've been away for an age, doesn't it? And it is, of course, a brand new year. So here's to a very happy 2022. May it bring you all the joy that you deserve uh, and may it be a damn sight better than the one we left behind. It's only been just over a week since I was last here and it's time to take a look around at where we are. Now, I obviously want to hear from all of you today because this is a very, very big day. It's a bank holiday. There doesn't seem to be many people about, so you're all at home. Good chance to listen for three hours to the most sensible man uh, in the entire universe. And that would, of course, be me. Uh, plus a load of great guests as well that we're going to have. Here's what I want to do, though. Uh, Omicron, apparently, has proved to be far less dangerous than it was predicted to be. The variant was nowhere near uh, creating what Sajid Javid said would happen. One million cases, infections a day. The health secretary said there were dire warnings from the doom mongers about hospitals being overrun. Record numbers of infections. The health service remains able to cope with the numbers of people being admitted. And we've also learned an awful lot of people in hospital with COVID actually were brought in for some other reason. They didn't actually have COVID when they came in, but they got tested for it. And here we are, suddenly, we've got COVID. I'm looking out at the uh, beautiful vista of London, uh, which apparently got some snowy weather coming. It's going to be cold. It was very warm over the weekend. Um, but the problem is now, the real problem, apparently, is shortages. You know, you will remember, before the end of last year, we were doing shortage of the day every single day. We're not going to do that now, uh, because we are just now going to concentrate on specific shortages, i.e. a shortage of common sense, just like last year, but also <clears throat> an apparent shortage of public sector workers. Loads of them are absent due to either testing positive or being told to stay at home or waiting for the results of a PCR test, right? Bin collections are affected. Trains are being cancelled all over the place. In fact, Victoria Station in London uh, is practically empty because there's no trains going in and out of it until January the 10th, right? The NHS, of course, is the hardest hit of all, uh, with as many as 10% of their workforce missing in action. Now, I want to hear from all of you out there because isn't it amazing how it's always the same businesses that struggle to find people to do any work? And they all seem to be in the public sector. Councils, government, local government, you know, international governments, the NHS, trains, buses, you know, 
do me a favour. So tell us what you know, tell us what you're seeing and what you are hearing out there as well. 0344 499 1000. First up this morning, we're talking to Conservative MP Tom Hunt. We'll get his take on how the Conservative Party is going to pick up the baton and work through January uh, to get back on top of Labour because they've been suffering in the polls, of course, for quite some time now. Has Boris saved his job by standing firm uh, by putting in no more restrictions over New Year? And given what's happening in Scotland and Wales, it's the first thing he's got right in a while. So, uh, credit where credit is due, as we say. Peter Hitchens is here as well with his take on the festive season and whether we're getting our freedoms back anytime soon. And he'll be telling us as well where the green agenda will take us. It's not a good place because we're going to talk energy a little bit later on as well. We'll also be finding out what the latest news on the travel front is as people are returning from their trips abroad. We'll see what Simon Calder can tell us about where we are with testing, tracing and quarantining. And I'll be asking for your stories on strange and unusual insurance claims. Apparently more and more people are needing hospital treatment for strange and unusual injuries thanks to DIY and exercising at home. Well, I told you you shouldn't do that. It's not a good idea. Uh, But we've got loads more for you as well. Uh, There is Prince Andrew to talk about too, by the way. Uh, We have a few choice words to say about him. 0344 499 1000. We want to hear your voices because this is, of course, not just uh, the home of common sense. It's the people's station. It's the TV station that everybody's watching. It's the one place to get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, it's great to be back, guys. I've missed you. And it has seemed like a very long time to have been away. However, you know, all sorts of things have happened. Boris Johnson hasn't been uh, in uh, very uh, easily recognisable form, has he? I don't think anybody's actually seen him. So we're going to find out uh, with Tom Hunt, Conservative MP for Ipswich, exactly where the Tories are going to take us in the first few weeks of this year, because they need to do a little bit of revision, I would say, on getting back to being on top and being popular and doing things that they were voted in to do. Tom, a very good morning to you. Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for being our first guest of the new year. Very important and pivotal position that you're in now. Um, let's talk a little bit about Boris Johnson. He hasn't really been seen uh, over the course of Christmas, which which might not be that surprising. Um, he does appear to have done the right thing, as far as I'm concerned, having listened to you guys, his backbenchers, maybe listened to some of the people talking to us, maybe even listened to some of the things we said and didn't put any more restrictions on. It was clearly the right decision. Um, what's your take on what he does next? Well, I, I think we've, you know, it, it is it is good, uh, you know, that we haven't introduced any further restrictions and that we, you know, we're, I think, in a much better position than uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and many other countries in Europe. But I really hope, um, you know, after this Omicron scare, that there is a big moment, a big watershed moment where actually what we hear is that permanently, permanently we have lockdown restrictions ruled out because actually the, the uncertainty and the anxiety that them even being there and hanging over us brings about I think is very you know bad for business and, and bad for the mental health of millions of people in the country so I really hope that we can learn from this whole scare of Omicron and 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 and, and use it as a moment for it to be a watershed moment where perhaps Britain is the first country in the world to permanently turn our back on on lockdown restrictions for good I mean that's what I would like to see I'd also like to see us very much focused on the cost of living, uh, immigration, uh, law and order, you know, and actually, yeah. you know, govern as a Conservative Party, which, of course, 
It's what most people voted for. Well, that's what I think has happened uh, to the Conservative Party is that it's sort of lost its way a little bit. You know, Boris has become a little bit obsessed uh, towards the end of last year with COVID. He had all the criticism over the party situation. Uh, he had all various investigations going on. You know, the green agenda, the whole COP26 thing, which didn't please an awful lot of his own grassroots members, never mind some of you guys on the back benches of the, of, of the House of Commons. You know, and he needs to kind of reset himself, doesn't he, as the, as the man who was elected in 2019? Yeah, and I, I think he's he's capable of doing that. I mean, I think that over the course of a, a parliamentary term, uh, you know, four or five years, you're, you're going to have moments midterm uh, where things aren't great, you know, and where and, and it's it's very difficult to be on top of everything at every single point over a four four year period. So, you know, I I think the prime there is an opportunity there for a prime minister to to turn the situation around. I hope he does. You know, but I, I've been frustrated by a number of things over the past few months. Who desperately need to sort out. Um, illegal immigration, the small boat crossings. You know, we, we, we just need to... I think if most of the public know that this is a government that wakes up in the morning and is dedicated to trying to resolve the issues that they came, care most about, then I think then that will that will sort the issue out. Um, but no, I do think the COP, uh, you know, the COP conference, um, you know, which was never-ending, went on for two or three weeks, uh, I, I think was... And achieved nothing, really, didn't it? Um, it became slightly grating. Um, I think that... Um, you know, I think there was some uh, progress, but, you know, maybe not as great as we'd like. But I think that wasn't our fault, though, to be fair, I think it was other countries. But but ultimately, you know, we, we've got to be a party that is dedicated uh, to the concerns of average voters, uh, not 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 the kind of metropolitan bubble. Uh, and, and, and that's what we've got to show this month. But, you know, I do think we're dealing with a Labour Party, though, that remains incredibly weak. Uh, incredibly metropolitan in its focus uh, and he's had a free ride for the last two or three months but I think the Labour Party um, led by Keir Starmer I think are uh, incredibly poor political force weak yeah. um, do not even get close to representing what most people think on key issues so look it's it's our job we've got to focus on ourselves yeah and we've, yeah. and, we've, and we've got to be half decent. Absolutely and right. And you know what? I, I, they're, they're so ineffectual, the Labour Party, that I don't even remember if there was a Labour statement on um, uh, New Year restrictions when Boris announced that there weren't I, going to be any more. I can't remember if they even said anything. Look, I, I don't... I couldn't, <laughs> tell you, I, I couldn't tell you that. Trying to discern the Labour Party's position on this issue, you know, would require a PhD yeah. in, in, in reading between the lines because there haven't been any clear lines. You know, and, and, and I think that... You know, we, we look back at um, you know, July when Keir Starmer hammered the prime minister, you know, for, for withdrawing the restrictions then. I'm pretty sure I saw figures like West Streeting, you know, jumping at the bit for more restrictions only a few weeks ago. And apparently all of a sudden um, they were undecided on it. Yes. Um, but, we, but it's very difficult because their strategy is based on hindsight. So if you don't have hindsight, it becomes difficult. So you've got to have some sympathy for Keir Starmer because he hasn't got the benefit of hindsight. But, you know, ultimately, though, you know, we, we, we've also got we've also got a party, Malay party, who, you know, would put it put in restrictions far in excess to restrictions we've put in, which have hammered the economy to an even greater extent than has been the case. Yet at the same time, they're the ones saying we want, you know, extra billion pounds more for international aid, you know, keep the universal credit uplift. Absolutely no realisation that there needs to be a reckoning. Lockdown restrictions are not without consequence. Mm. And the Labour Party, they can dodge that reckoning. They, think they can dodge that difficult decision and still have credibility as a political force. I mean, no, but everything they're talking about would involve excess borrowing uh, and, you know, recklessness of public finances. 
to an even greater extent than has been the case perhaps over the last decade. Mm, absolutely right. I mean, the biggest problem we seem to be facing now, um, Tom, is not so much people overwhelming the NHS because they're having to go to hospital with COVID, but the fact that there's not enough people in hospital to deal with anything. There's not enough people to drive trains. There's not enough people to empty bins. You know, there is a sort of massive public sector sickie going on. Um, and I suspect that many of the people who are off sick uh, are off sick because they've tested positive for Omicron. Uh, but we may not, may not know that. Some of them are waiting for PCR tests. We've also had um, I mean, we've also had the government give uh, 28 days uncertified sick leave, which is going to make, make it possible for people who enjoy not going to work uh, actually being sick for longer. Well, I mean, I, I imagine there will be a small number of people rubbing their hands together at the, 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 the huge array of opportunities there are to 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 to, to be you know to, to dodge work. But ultimately, um, this isn't the case for most people who will be incredibly frustrated sitting at home, often feeling like they have no more than a mild cold, yeah. being unable unable to go about their business. You know, we have we've reduced the self isolation period from ten days, seven days, welcome step. But you know, we look at other countries, uh, U.S., Greece, I think more now, maybe Germany who have reduced it to five days. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I don't think it would be long until I think we need to get to a point where we we, we, we essentially you know, don't have this sort of self-isolate, these self-isolation rules. You know, if yeah. you have a bad cold, you, you you know, unless it's a really bad cold, where maybe for a day or two you might be bedridden, yeah. you go about your business. You're a bit careful. You yeah. know, if, I've got, if, if I know I've got a bad cold, you know, I'm not going to go around, you know, shaking hands and, you know, everything else. But no. you, you, don't, it is, you don't allow it to paralyse your life. No. You know, exactly which is ultimately right. we're at now with COVID. No, and I think that's the the, the 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 leap that has to be now made, isn't it? Because I don't know what the plan is um, for the next few days. I presume you're not back in Parliament until probably next week. Um, but I presume we'll get a statement of some kind or other from Boris Johnson this week uh, in which he will give us the kind of state of the nation, won't he? He'll give us the state of play. And he'll say, look, despite all of the cases that we keep hearing about, despite the BBC's doom-mongering, Sky News telling us that, yeah. you know, this is much worse than I... it's ever been, nobody's uh, going into hospital in the same numbers. People are not dying in the same numbers. Let's move on shall we i think the key point here is you know if it is the case over the next few weeks that omicron turns out to, to not be you know this really terrible thing which uh you know causes death and destruction um you know and, and, we, 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 and, and that is the case then i think we need to do more than just you know move on from it mm. we need to seriously reflect on what's happened over the last month because you know what has happened over the last month significant economic damage has come about the mental health of millions of people has been severely impacted by the uncertainty of the last few months. You know, so and also, um, not for the first time, we've had dodgy modelling, dodgy modelling uh, minutes from scientific meetings that seem to deliberately be leaked every single time to try and bounce elected ministers into making decisions, and also. Isn't it the time that we stop seeing that podium? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we accept, rightly, that scientific advisors behind the scenes are going to feed in advice and advise ministers. But ultimately, ministers decide. They weigh up everything, and but they have to take a whole picture view of yes, pub, you know, health pressure, but you know, mental health, economic, education. I mean, the ministers make the decisions, and so ultimately, I think we're at a point now where I think we want to hear from the elected ministers and, and politicians, and, and, actually, and actually stop having scientists leaking meetings trying to bounce ministers into making decisions. Yeah. I actually think it's very concerning yes. uh, the, the, the loss of confidence there's been in so much of this modelling, because there will be occasions in the future where actually the public want to trust data and modelling produced they by do. important 
Yeah, but they don't. That's the problem. They, that, 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 that ship has now sailed because even over the Christmas period, we saw members of the NHS, senior members of the NHS, admitting that they had made some figures up, admitting that an awful lot of the COVID numbers that were being counted were people who had been admitted to hospital for something else and were then uh, sort but, of negative, uh, positively tested for COVID, uh, even though they didn't have any symptoms. And so the numbers have been inflated and it's time that we admitted that and it's time that we told the public the truth. But what's the consequence to that? You know, if we do have, uh, you know, individuals who are who are, putting, are repeatedly putting out dodgy, dodgy data and dodgy, dodgy, dodgy modelling, what is the consequence to that? I guess that's my point because it, it, it hasn't been consequence free when it comes to the people who finally thought they had their lives back, and, and then for the past three or four months they've they've had this. And, and and my point is, even if we don't add any more restrictions in, and I don't think we will, touch wood, it, it isn't like damage hasn't still happened mm. because it has both to the economy, but also to people's mental health. You know, I've been contacted by constituents who have said, look, you know, I, I got my vaccines. Uh, as frustrating as I found the first couple of lockdowns, at least I thought there was a light at the end of the tunnel. The roadmap was perhaps too cautious, but at least there was one direction of travel. And now, despite the vaccine, we're kind of, you know, we've got this dread, dreading sense that we're kind of back to where we are. Mm. We, you know, what's the light at the end of the tunnel now? Is this a never-ending series of lockdown after lockdown after lockdown, variant after variant? Well, surely I'll Boris put- has learned this lesson now, that actually, if his popularity does start to return, he likes to be popular, uh, this should prove it to him. Look, I, I, think, I think there is a great moment here for him uh, to really say, you know, look, I've got this call right. Um, now is a moment to, 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 in a sense, leave the world and say that this is now post-COVID world. You know, we've got to live with it. This is our strategy for doing it. But, you know, a sustainable strategy for living in COVID isn't having drama like we've had for the last three or four weeks. That is not a sustainable strategy for living with COVID. Mm. Um, and I think, that, you know, look, I think what people really want is, is a government which is dedicated to their concerns and gets the big calls right. And I think the prime minister has shown to have demonstrated real leadership on this issue and to, to lead us from this nightmare. I think that is something people will remember. I think as much as the uh, the, the parties and um, from various people in number ten and all that mm. isn't is clearly isn't ideal. The key thing for me is getting these big calls right. Yeah, getting these big calls right. Uh, and 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 as a as a backbench member of parliament, you know, going into a new year, you know, I plan to to play my role uh, as, as a representative to try and influence this debate mm. in, in in a healthy way. And and the other thing I don't like is those people who say well, you know, you should be lucky because actually most other countries are worse than we are when it comes to restrictions. Since when, as a country, did we look to other countries to do it? I think we're the greatest country in the world. I'm incredibly proud of Britain because we don't just, you know, sheeplessly follow other countries. If we think something is wrong, it's wrong, we change it and we show leadership. We did on on Brexit, I'd I'd argue. Let's do it on, on COVID and say... You know, we're going to we're going to chart out a new course, mm. and you know, I think and I think other countries will follow us. So there, there are some positive signs, and I do think the prime minister deserves some credit for not folding like most other elected yeah. politicians yeah. have done all over Europe. You know, he deserves credit for that. You know, and he he remains a man with remarkable gifts, and I do think that you know, yes, the last few weeks have been regrettable. Yes, the mistakes have been made, but I I do think it's important in politics to take a bit of a step back. You know, understand that this is a mid-course point in a parliamentary term uh, and also understand with, with, with the Prime Minister, he, he's a man who's had ups and downs throughout his career. 
and he often does bounce back. And it's in all of our interest for him to bounce back. Yeah, it is. Because well, hang, he, hold he, that hold that thought for a moment, Tom, because you just have to stop for a minute because I'm going to come back to you and tell yeah. you what I think he should do next and see whether you agree with me. But I'm sure uh, we don't want to be going down the route that, for example, France is going down, uh, where they're saying that six-year-olds have to wear masks on public transport. Absolutely ridiculous. You're listening to Talk Radio. The independent Republican Mike Graham is back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We're talking uh, to Conservative MP for Ipswich, Tom Hunt, about how Boris has made a bit of a stand. He has refused to bring in more restrictions between Christmas and New Year. We are now uh, into January. What we don't want to do, of course, is go down the road uh, that Wales and Scotland have gone down. Everybody saw probably over the course of the weekend uh, some of the video footage from Scotland of police officers breaking up parties with old people sitting around in a very light environment, drinking wine very slowly uh, and even some people occasionally having a bit of a dance outside police vans turning up in their sort of five six seven numbers uh, to arrest old people for hanging about together unbelievable how about this from Anne Mack uh, who says an ambulance crew didn't take my mother to hospital today after a fall during the night they said there was a 54 hour wait for a bed at cross house and ambulance crews had been waiting since 7 a.m queued up still at 2 p.m and this is where we are at in Scotland you certainly don't want to be going down the road that Mr Mr Drakeford and Ms Sturgeon went down Tom do you I mean, I, I think it's deeply concerning that, the, that these sorts of measures are still being taken. You know, at best, at best, at the height of lockdown, before we had a vaccine, before we knew everything we know about COVID, maybe um, some of these restrictive measures, one can make an argument for them being justified. But at the moment, they are absolutely not. You know, and I actually think a lot of the public need to be need to understand that those measures were extreme measures that took place um, at the start of the pandemic and, and never again should they be allowed to happen again. It's, it's, it's really not a good place in terms of us being citizens and exercising our own judgment, having our own freedoms, mm. going about our life. You know, and um, I, I just what concerns me slightly. I remember, like, you know, a few weeks ago, I had a, I had a meeting and I had one person in the room who said to me, she was a, she was very angry that the government hadn't already introduced a full lockdown. And she said, I don't I don't feel safe. Mm. And I just said, the greatest respect, if you think the government's made a mistake and you don't feel safe, why are you sat in this meeting? Yeah, right. I mean, this is the thing. I think a lot of people have used um, this as a political sort of tool, haven't they? And they've made out that somehow doing anything other than locking everything down is unsafe. But the only thing we know for sure is that lockdowns are the things that cause problems and cause anxiety and cause medical difficulty for an awful lot of people, whereas not having a lockdown doesn't necessarily. Well, I mean, I mean, some, so, I mean, some, somebody also said to me that, um, you know, the Tories have underfunded mental health. And I said, well, and, and this is the same person who was saying we need another lockdown. And I said, well, you do realise another lockdown will do two things. Firstly, it would massively increase the number of people who need support for their mental health. And secondly, there'll be less money to go around to fund it. Mm. You know, so I think there needs to be a bit more of that kind of realisation that actually lockdown restrictions are not cost free. But, you know, a lot of the public, I, I you know, they have been really scared into, you know, about COVID and yeah. they still are. And I see when I'm, I see like, you know, walking about sometimes, I see people leaving their home, often quite young people mm. wearing face masks outside. Yeah. Looking absolutely terrified. And, no. I, and I think this is, this is not a good place to be. You know, no. we've, we've got to get back to living our lives 
fully and with confidence. And yeah. and actually, you know, I think that needs to be the key focus now for the government, right. trying to help people to do that. And wouldn't you go along with Robert Halford, though, who also said today and he said to Julie Hartley Brewer that, you know, there's no issue at all uh, in schools with COVID as such, because we know that children are not really massive passers on of the disease but we are still now having sort of pressure on the government from the union's side of things um you know children are being asked to wear masks in, in classrooms again which is entirely ridiculous and and can, continues to promote that sort of that fear that children might catch something and give it to somebody you know and kids need to be able to you know sort of exist in a free environment surely yeah i mean i mean i mean i think there's a difference between I mean, I know ideally I'd like to see no face masks in schools. Right. But I think there's obviously a difference between saying, well, you know, when you walk in between classes and, and, and in the, you know, the, 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 those sorts of communal areas, briefly having a face mask on for those for, for those bits. But then obviously when you get down in your desk, you take the face mask off. You know, I think requiring secondary school children to, to be wearing mm. face masks for presumably, you know, up to six, seven, eight hours a day, uh, you know, I, I I I feel sorry for those kids for having to go through that because um, uh, you know, for many people, actually wearing a face mask, particularly for that length of time, is very uncomfortable uh, and 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 quite detrimental to them. So I, I have concerns about that new guidance. Um, let's let's I'll make that clear. Yeah, and I mean, the dean Harwin this morning saying he doesn't want to do it for very long. He wants to take it off as soon as possible. But I mean, there isn't even any evidence that it works, to be honest. I mean, if everybody uh, was wearing masks anyway, as we have been told to do, how come so many people are getting infected? I mean, there aren't really many other people in the country who are being expected to wear a face mask for that much time. In no, one day. Not, no, not for that much time. But we were told that face masks were back uh, as compulsory uh, in public transport settings, in public uh, arenas where there were a lot of people. You know, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we've been wearing masks for a long time, but it doesn't seem mm. to have stopped infection. Um, I, I, I haven't seen um, compelling evidence to show, to demonstrate that they... They, they work to a great extent. I would say, though, that um, for me, it, it's not a great infringement on things if when I go into a shop, I, I put one on. You know, if, if I go, if, I, if in the tube, I put one on. I'm not really, I, I can live with that. But I do think requiring young young, young adults and children to, to be wearing them for up to um, six, seven, eight hours a day, I think is a different issue. Uh, and I think it, it's more significant what we're asking from them on that front uh and i and i think that um i i i i have concerns about that guidance yeah well i have many concerns about any guidance about wearing masks if you want to wear a mask i think people should be free to do so but nobody else should be told to uh because there isn't any evidence that says that that it works so as you say there is there is absolutely i mean if you want to get back to normal let's get back to normal you know i'm sick to death of walking down the street watching people wearing masks it looks ridiculous and they can only (laughs) be doing it um because they are frightened of catching something yeah, um, and 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 also what's probably, but you know this this also could be quite bad for the environment because many people who really don't like wearing a mask um, might actually end up using their private vehicle to get about instead of going on public transport. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually, so there's actually um, Mike, there's an environmental argument for why mask wearing can be a bad thing. Yeah, well, that's even before you start talking about where people chuck them and where they all which end I'm up. Sure, uh, which, I'm, Mike, Mike, which I'm sure would be the main argument that would be pulling your heartstrings. <laughs> listen, I came <laughs> in in the Range Rover again today. Thanks very much for asking. But listen, <laughs> Tom, have a very good uh, first week. When is everybody back in uh, back at school, as it were, in Parliament? 
Well, I, I must say, I mean, I've taken my eye off the ball because I wasn't actually aware that it was a bank holiday until about um, five minutes before <laughs> midnight. So I was all going to be going into my office uh, with my team uh, this morning when I found out it was bank holiday. So, I mean, I'm going to be in my office tomorrow, but okay. um, in, um, sorting some things out. But Wednesday is when Parliament's actually sitting. So, okay. so that is going to be, you know, absolutely back to back go on Wednesday. And I imagine it's going to be an incredibly busy month in Parliament. You know, I think there's going to be a lot, lot of different things happening. Good stuff. Well, we'll look forward to Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday. Tom, thanks very much indeed once again for being the first guest on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham in 2022. We are in 2022. It's a new year. It's a brand new year. Let's get some brand new thinking going. Let's get some really, really sensible people to do some really sensible things and move on from this madness. Shall we not? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, what better man to talk to as the second guest on the first show of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham in 2022 than Simon Calder, the man uh, who kept us so well informed last year about everything that was going on in the world of international travel. Simon, welcome and a very happy new year to you. Well, happy new year, Mike, and to all your lovely listeners. And yes, I'm speaking to you from London Waterloo, mm. uh, which is about as far as I've been getting this <laughs> uh, this new year. You, if you are watching on the uh, on the app, then you can see behind me Cubana, uh, first Cuban restaurant. Very in fine London, place that, uh, which is about as close as you and. Hey, it is. Yes, my daughter once fell down the stairs the there after a few many Cuba Libras, but that's another story. Um, but uh, La Barca, oh, no. if you look to your left, La Barca, a very fine Italian yes. restaurant as well, uh, which is a place I often frequent. Um, beautiful place. Good, uh, good spot to, uh, to to take in the uh, the sights. But listen, um, I'm slightly concerned, Simon, because I'm hearing very many different stories and rumours about what's likely to happen. I cancelled my trip to New York, as you know, um, because they introduced yeah. those pre-departure tests and a couple of my friends have been caught out and stuck there, uh, which is one of the reasons I didn't go. Um, what's the situation? Because we keep hearing that the next travel review, and I'm not even sure when that is, is likely to lift all of that, but it might not lift the quarantine. Uh, well, yes, look, let, let's remember where we are. It's so interesting hearing your previous guest because an awful lot of people in the travel industry who will be nodding and agreeing with every single word. Yes. Right. Um, on Wednesday, the 5th of January, we get the review of Plan B. If you'll remember, this was all brought in because Omicron was going through the roof. Now, we're also getting, I understand, the testing rules that were strengthened at the beginning of December and actually um, the very end of November. And you might remember that we were worried about this strange new variant coming in. So suddenly on a Saturday night, um, we were told, right, uh, we, you know that um, post-arrival test, lateral flow yes. was fine, um, you know, 30 quid or whatever. Now you're going to have to have a PCR test that's going to be 60 or 70 quid and you're going to self-isolate until you get a negative result. Right. That put a lot of people off. I was in America at the time and it suddenly cost me an extra uh, 70 quid and um, sitting in a room for 48 hours. So yes. I was cheesed off. And also, then, has there not, there's also been an issue, hasn't there, with even getting the test back in time? Oh, sure. Yeah. Many, many people um, have, have found that they've been kind of stuck in a room. My, mine was over the 48 hours they promised, but not by much. Mm. Other people are still, still still stuck indoors. Then, actually, more seriously for a lot of people, uh, the following Saturday, they said, right, we're going to bring back pre-departure tests. 
people hate these exactly as you say your right. friends in new york being caught by uh, this talking to a lady who's stuck in uh, dubai for uh, an extra couple of weeks it costs a fortune it's really upsetting and disruptive i mean who wants to sit yeah it's bad enough sitting in a room at home who wants to sit in a in a hotel in some other country yes. just getting room service for two weeks and it's rather expensive um, as well apart from anything else uh, yes um your travel insurance if you've got good travel insurance will cover that but you still don't want to be there mm. and so therefore that's been putting an awful lot of people including you off your trips absolutely understandably yes now i've been going back mike through exactly what we were told at the time and uh, the uh, health secretary sajid javid the prime minister the transport secretary all said we're bringing these in because this is strange new variant which we later knew was called omicron mm. we're buying time to stem the spread of this well that worked really well didn't it i think that uh, that ship sailed some time ago um, and yet of course as we've seen so many times um, the rules come in very, very quickly, and then they just sort of hang around because nobody actually wants to say, hang on, why are we doing this? Mm. Oh, we brought it in to stop Omicron. Right. Well, did that work? No, it didn't. No. Well, should we stop? All right. And that, that discussion <laughs> never seems to take place. Well, I mean, I did see some conversation about it where, where you know, sensible people like you and I uh, were saying things like, well, you know, if it's already here, then you're not really stopping it by telling people to take a test before they get here. Uh, also, Julie Hartley Brewer, of course, has come back from her trip abroad um, and she presumably had to take a test to get on the plane, was negative, uh, gets here, it's a two day test, she's positive. So, you know, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't just do the two day test and not worry about the one you took before because it's apparently meaningless. Well, there's, there's a, yeah, there are reasonable arguments for testing, but to have a quarantine plus uh, PCR post-arrival test strikes me as uh, slightly excessive. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, there, there are, while, while I really don't like the post, the, the uh, pre-departure test, I think it perhaps makes a bit more sense. But as you, you know, as, as Julia's example shows, and so many other examples show, it's all a bit random. And the fact, of course, that the UK allows, um, I'm sorry to say, Mickey Mouse tests, where, um, as I think somebody mentioned on your excellent show a while back, you could get next door's cat to take the PCR test. I'm not suggesting it for a moment. Leave next door's cat well alone. Yes. But, um, uh, sorry, also, good luck the, trying, uh, to, trying to get the next door's cat to do the test because they're quite yes. recalcitrant, I've found cats. They, <laughs> they never do what you want. Um, and, and so, therefore, we will, I think, get some easing of that. But the other thing that your, your first guest of the new year said was these things just keep being switched on and switched off. Mm. And, and that's annoying enough in society in general. If it's in travel, it's extraordinarily disruptive. Yes. Destructive because... People, you know, travel is something you want to look forward to. You don't want to be thinking, what's the rules today? Oh, I know. Are I going to get more, more tests done? Um, are we going to be banned by flipping France? And I, I'm looking forward to Emmanuel Macron coming out and saying, yeah, all right, Brits, we accept that um, we've now got more Omicron cases <laughs> even that you yes, have. Yes, how ironic so, that's uh, turned out to be because uh, we haven't been going there because they banned us on the grounds that we might be bringing them Omicron and now they're worse than we are. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, the uh, German ban ends at uh, 11 p.m. British time tonight. I know that you'll be on the first plane to Berlin as usual. Um, and and other rules are coming in. In France, they're saying from today, well, we heard about six-year-olds wearing masks. Yeah. We, also, 
on your train from Paris to Perpignan, Mike, um, six hours or something, you are not allowed to drink water. You're not allowed to have what? your baguette and your brie and your vin rouge. Uh, they're banning eating on trains. So, Saturday Fleur, what has the world come to? That's unbelievable. I mean, and I what is? I mean, I, I don't even really know what the situation is with quarantine these days. I know they got rid of all the red list countries, right? Um, but if you were to come back and test positive, um, what is the situation? How long are you supposed you, to sit there? You you sit at home for ten days um, from the not seven. The, no, no, no. So so you would not be uh, well. I mean, I'm only going on what the actual law actually says about people who are traveling. Yes. And that means that you come back, you test positive inevitably because you didn't test positive before. And it's 10 days from the point of that, uh, that, that test. Right. Now there will be all sorts of, hang on, what's going on. I thought it was seven days, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, the extent to which anybody, uh, including people, I'm sorry to say who are coming back, who have to quarantine, until they get that negative PCR test. Yes. I am hearing anecdotally that not everybody is doing that. Uh, of course, you do need to stay indoors. I mean, you obviously <laughs> come back from the airport on the bus or the tube or whatever, right. but then you've got to sit indoors. But so this is the other thing bit... that I found is very sort of hit and miss, depending on where you live. You know, I've heard stories from people who say that when they were tested positive, now I'm not talking about from travel, but just here, um, they were getting phone calls from people demanding to know who they'd met, who they'd mixed with, where they'd been. Other people who say never heard anything from anyone. Um, and nobody even bothered to actually acknowledge the fact that I'd sent in a test saying that I was positive and registering it. You know, so it's all over the place, isn't it? Uh, all over the place. I think um, uh, it sums it up, Mike, except that you and I are not all over the place. We're, we're, we're stuck in London town. And we'd rather be... Um, but, you know, uh, after all of the anguish and the angst and the disappointment of not going to America, I'm actually rather pleased that I didn't go because I think I did the right thing. And I will be going, hopefully, um, in February if things sort of have calmed down a bit by then. Uh, yeah, well, they, they will. Look, I'm genuinely very optimistic, I think. Here's, here's the way I see it, mm. or one possible outcome. Um, we're clearly waiting to hear just how serious Omicron is. And we got some views uh, in, in the first half hour of the programme about that. I think that if it does dawn on the world that actually, yeah, well, this is, you know, it's not great. Um, and the numbers are through the roof, but actually most people seem to be OK. Um, let's open up again. I think we're going to have really quite competitive reopenings, which will mean countries will actually make it a much much easier for them to visit so so at the moment france is just saying keep out um spain is uh, uh you know tough rules on teenagers portugal says you've got to have a test before you go um austria you've got to have jabs and boosters um goodness knows what um, and i think those will suddenly start to melt away um whether the UK will actually be on that page as well. I mean, we've completely destroyed our inbound tourism industry. Mm. Um, uh, so if, if and when that might start coming back, I do not know. But I think things will get easier. And um, by summer, I, th I think we're, uh, the, the, the horribleness of, of before is going to, uh, of, of the last uh, two years will be a painful but distant memory. Yeah. But just for the moment, we don't know. And talking to people coming back from Spain, they say, well, it's lovely being in Spain in the sunshine, but you've got to wear a blooming mask all the time, even when you're outdoors. I mean, you know, 
It's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's just bonkers. Absolutely mad. Well, listen, Simon, delightful to see you, as ever. Uh, hoping hoping you can wander about Walton. It's very quiet in London today, it seems. I don't think anybody's doing any work at all. I think you and I are the only two people working. Thank goodness. Um, but we shall talk to you soon, I'm sure. Simon Calder, as ever, keeping us updated with what's going on. The yeah, great answer, of course, is nobody really knows. And this is why Boris Johnson needs to come out. Uh, Parliament's back on Wednesday, we're told, by Tom Hunt. So there will be Prime Minister's questions. There needs to be a general, I think, kind of State of the Union type address in which Boris tells us exactly what his plan is, exactly what he's going to do over the next few days, exactly what January is going to look like, give people the opportunity to understand that hospitality is going to be fine, give people the opportunity to understand that travelling is going to be made easier, that schools are not going to have to put masks on the children. You know, let's get somewhere. Let's stop with this madness. Let's move on. Let's find a new way in January 2022 because it's time, isn't it? It's time. That's the new slogan for the Independent Republic. Get on with it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very happy new year to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, very good. Happy new year to you. How are you? I don't do the happy new years, uh, Mike. I've, I've, I've refused to acknowledge it. <laughs> Excellent. Existed. That's, well, now, happy this is, happy this Christmas. Is, There's still a few days of it left. All right. Well, this is the best way uh, for you to, to, to welcome uh, yourself back to uh, to the world of the Independent Republic because I was beginning to think that I'd sort of changed your curmudgeonly ways. So I'm very pleased to see uh, that I haven't done that. We were reminded um, over the Christmas period somebody did a kind of a best of um, the Independent Republic show and one of the highlights was you sitting in a pub refusing to have a drink on the grounds that you would only have one if you could walk up to the bar and get it yourself. That's right. That that day did eventually come. It did. It wasn't recorded for posterity, but it did. It did come and has come several times since. Actually, yes, it but has. I mean, it's, but the cup has literally been dashed from our lips several times as well, right? Exactly. Yes, but who knows how long it will be before it's dashed again? Yes, you can't tell when when the madness will take hold. Looking across the channel at, uh, at, the, at the most of the continental countries, uh, they're still possessed by complete hysteria. 
uh, you can't even go out in the street without having to, to, to wear a face covering. Yes. Well, I just you, heard from Simon Calder from The Independent on the travel front that if you get on the um, the train, I think it was down to Marseille or Lyon, uh, you're now no longer allowed to eat or drink on the train. Well, that would be it, because if you, of course, that was the, the, the last remaining excuse. And if you uh, did, as I advise people to do it on, on any such train journey and buy a large five-course picnic, you could pretty much keep it going for the whole journey. But uh, they spotted that loophole, and, uh, and lo, it has gone. So everybody has to sit uh, muzzled for the whole journey now. Uh, it's, it's, it's extraordinary how powerful the, the, the masking lobby remains, mm. well beyond any true research justification for it. And I still think that it is a, a symbol of compliance, which some people long to see everybody submit to. Yes. Well, as, as we can see from the insistence that schools should now reimpose them in classrooms, which seems to me to be utterly unnecessary, entirely um, uh, dangerous for, for kids' mental health and, and just, un, you know, just, you know, without any evidence backing it whatsoever. Well, I wouldn't go quite that. I, I doubt very much whether it offers all that much danger. It's just it, it, it must make the whole business of being in class a, a lot more miserable than it needs to be hmm. and there is evidence uh, of some benefits from some forms of mask but it's it as i always said it, it isn't at the level which could possibly justify compulsion if people want to wear them then uh, as far as i'm concerned let them do so hmm. but the, the, the it's the compulsion which gets my goat it, you, a country in which people are told what to wear especially over their faces is a country which has, has lost its way as far as liberty is concerned. Mm. I, you look at all this stuff, it's immensely confusing if you, uh, and would probably take you a week to look at it all. But it, it really, there is nothing there which says to me that the compulsion uh, by law with the threat of fines and all the rest of it is, is justified. And no. I, I still hold that position. But that's the case, isn't it? I mean, there is literally um, no evidence that's compelling, certainly. But also, my argument would always be, if... And as we have been in, in all sorts of parts of the world wearing masks for this length of time, why are we suddenly now in a situation where there are more coronavirus infections than ever? Well, all trumping arguments are of that kind are immediately answered by the, the hysterics by saying, well, how do you know? Uh, it wouldn't have been much worse if people <laughs> hadn't been wearing masks. There is no answer to that. How, it, it all goes back to the, the original sort of Garden of Eden of, of, the, of, of the COVID hysteria. Uh, when we we did not lock down soon enough yes. of, of Adam and Eve eating the, the tree of the fruit of knowledge. That was the moment at which it all went wrong. We didn't lock down soon enough and hard enough. And that is the answer to everything. And you, you can't, don't imagine for a moment you will ever get around this by reason. It is a faith. And it's a very strong faith in a particular new kind of way of life. And you said earlier on, we should think about how it was before, and I often do, but I mm. don't actually think we're going to get back to it any more than we'll ever get back to the, the days before September the 11th, 2001, when we sacrificed a huge amount of small but important liberties in return for an illusory security. And once you do that, you never get it back because nobody in authority will ever dare take the risk. No, and that is the difficulty, isn't it? You wrote uh, this weekend about, um, um, well, you sort of reminded everyone about your Christmas in the Soviet Union, uh, the former Soviet Union, and how that had all gone, um, and sort of looked ahead to where we are going, because we are heading into a very interesting period, it seems to me, uh, where COVID will start to sort of disappear off, I think, into slightly the far distance, and we'll suddenly be 
greeted with, with massive inflation, which you have to say predicted, um, and a huge rise in energy costs. Well, yes, these things were completely predictable. And it, what, what I, I do think uh, the the COVID frenzy has, has done, amongst many other things, is it's, it's strengthened the, the general faith in authority and the general willingness to set aside the great protecting documents of uh, bills of rights, which mm. uh, which had previously protected us against author authoritarian government, uh, and therefore has strengthened the power of the the green lobby, which wants us to to actually abandon uh, the the free societies which we used to have in favour of idealistic societies devoted to the the, the alleged saving of the planet, uh, in which all opposition. Uh, is heresy, and people are not just wrong but bad who oppose it, and in which governments are licensed to take the most extraordinary steps uh, to combat the the alleged uh, the, the alleged terror uh, of man-made global warming, and this is what we now are entering. And what I was tr trying to point out about Moscow, and Moscow, in, when I was there, was still just the world capital of communism and the world capital of an idea which had proved itself by then to be totally stupid, but which you have to remember became popular and powerful because it promised a better world. Mm. And there were the great contradictions. It was supposed to be in favor of equality. The only decent hospital in, in the entire city was reserved for members of the Communist Party Central Committee, a few dozen people, and, and hidden behind a 15-foot wall so you couldn't even see it. Mm. If you wanted decent medical treatment in Moscow, the only thing to do was to do what we would have done had it happened and drive as fast as we could to the airport and get on a plane to Helsinki. Uh, the, the place was supposed to be the, the, the home of plenty as well. Communism was supposed to produce plenty for all. In fact, the, the, the shops were, were largely empty, and yeah. you, unless you had means of finding the stuff. Other, you know the joke, the, the woman goes into the shop and says, do, do, do you have any fish? And the, the assistant replies, no, uh, we don't have any meat. The, the, the shop that uh, doesn't have any fish is on the other side of the road over there. <laughs> that, that, is, that, that was a, a joke which worked because it was largely true. Yes. You, you went into those shops and there was nothing there. Uh. The only way to obtain stuff was on the black market. The whole thing didn't work. It had become a, a, a contradiction in itself and had, had become so ludicrous that eventually it just collapsed yeah. in the cloud of rust in 1991. Now, the, the, I believe that the green ideology has similar contradictions and follies within it, which will lead it to collapse. And we can we can see them already, but it, other people seem to be determined to go through the whole 75-year process of making a, a, a colossal fools of ourselves before they realize this. But here we have it. It's right in front of us now. This year, you will find your fuel bills will go up enormously. Everybody will. It's, it, it will be a hard fact, which we all face, along with the inflation. And this will be directly because of the stupid uh, green dogma which possessed the government to destroy very large numbers of uh, coal-fired power stations, to substitute for them gas, which actually is not green, mm. and then to, uh, uh, then to actually prevent the extraction of gas from some fields of, of, of this country so that limited our own supplies of it and made us dependent on foreign gas supplies and neglect the renewal of the nuclear of nuclear power stations. So we now face this. These decisions were all dogmatic. It's even worse in Germany. Right. Uh, where at, at the new year, they actually closed some perfectly functioning nuclear power stations for purely dogmatic reasons, 
uh, making themselves therefore much more dependent upon Russian yeah. gas. Now, why would anybody do that? Well, isn't it interesting that the conversation turns full circle? Because here we now have uh, the, the, the former Soviet Union, Russia, operating, as some would describe it, as a bit of a sort of gangster uh, rogue state, but basically yeah. controlling European power supplies, European en energy supplies, um, and being able to turn it on and off at will. Well, yes, so I, I think it, it, can, it has to be said that the, the weapon as such has not really been used. And it, I, Russia has many problems, and it is indeed a, 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 a terrifying autocracy and, and not, uh, not to be praised. But I, I, the problem is that we are at the mercy of this. And if Russia gets, gets a regime which is the sort that we, we claim that it has... Uh, which you could easily do. I mean, we, people may think they don't like Vladimir Putin now, but I, I shudder to think who will succeed him. Uh, if it gets mm. the sort of regime that we think that it has, and it, it, in reality, then that could be the case. The, 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 they really could choke off the, the main energy supply yeah. to large parts of, of, of uh, Western Europe. And the consequences of that would be extraordinarily bad. Absolutely right. And so, I mean, will there be, do you think, some form of revolt? Because I was asking Tom Hunt this morning, uh, who's one of the backbenchers, who is more conservative, certainly, than the government is at the moment. Um, not difficult. Not difficult at all. John Redwood was talking as well to Julia this morning about how, you know, he's going to fight against the Rishi Sunak tax rise in April. You know, he wants to see um, fracking being explored more. You know, we have plenty of energy in this country if we were only, um, yeah. if we had the political will to explore it and actually find it. Um, but I don't see Boris, you know, I've, I've sort of given him a pass over, over New Year for not making it worse for people and keeping restrictions away. But he's still not out of the woods as far as being prime minister is concerned, is he? No, I, we have, in my newspaper, the Mail on Sunday, had a very interesting poll on Sunday, which which showed that his support is definitely diminished, particularly in the so-called red wall seats, which he needs very badly to hold them. Yesterday. But that, of course, opinion polls do that. They give you an idea of what people think now. If a general election came, then mm. these, these figures always narrow, but he is in a certain amount of trouble. But I'm always reminded of the great watchword of the Clinton campaign back in the 1990s, whenever they were asked about one such or another. They said, it's the economy, yeah. stupid. Yeah. How, what what makes decides how people vote is, is how they're living. If right. they suddenly find that they're more heavily taxed, they can't afford to live as they used to, if prices have gone up and they can't afford to live as they used to, then they get angry and they take that out by voting for the opposition. Yeah. And, and and this is this is the great danger which he faces. If he if he messes up the economy, if people find that their taxes are intolerably high, inflation is unbearably high, and they can't pay their fuel bills, then they will take it out on the incumbent government mm. by voting for the other lot, and that will finish him, whatever he does. Mm. And I think that might conceivably influence him, because whatever else he may or may not be, he's not stupid. No. Uh, he, and he also he, likes and, to be popular. He and his men, well, he, he needs to be popular to keep his job. And so whether he wants to be popular or not, personally, he, he needs to get, get, get those votes. And I think the fact that there is now substantial economic pressure building up on middle Britain uh, must have an impact on his policies if he's got any sense at all. You can only hope for that. But whether it'll be a, a full uh, recalibrating of the whole of the whole green lunacy, which uh, would, would be much to be desired, or whether it'll just be a few tinkerings to lessen the effect of it, I don't know. But we certainly need to to examine this seriously and, and also to permit yeah. consent. Uh, and not treat it as heresy and not and, and not treat disagreement as a, as a wicked act on this matter. Otherwise, we're, we're finished. No. But also, country. again, much of what he's done has been smoke and mirrors. I mean, I found out just purely by chance that, in fact, the electric car 
um, subsidy has actually been reduced, despite what they said at COP26, despite what they said about everybody supposedly wanting to drive an electric car in the future. Uh, they've made it less cheap to get one. Um, no, they, and, reduced, they reduced it because more people were taking it up. Hmm. Uh, that they, they found that they, they priced it wrong. They priced it so cheap that lots of people were doing it. Of course, that, there is a big problem with electric cars, which everybody in the business understands, but they keep quiet about. If millions of people really did take up using electric cars, they'd all have to be charged from somewhere. And our power generation system simply isn't up to doing it. If, if every single car in this country went electric, the power stations would crash because they, they simply could not produce enough electricity to do it. It's, it's, you're basically switching a huge area of power consumption away from, from petroleum products uh, in, into directly generated power from power stations. And it, it, we simply haven't got the capacity to do it. No, we don't. Stay with us for a moment because I want to talk to you about the Blair creature, as you refer to him, because you said something very interesting before Christmas about him. And now, uh, fair enough, uh, he's now Sir Tony Blair. I'm sure Peter will have plenty to say about that. We're talking to Peter Hitchens, man on Sunday columnist. We'll take more of your calls coming up very shortly as well. The home of common sense is back. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Much for us to discuss, much for us to look forward to. Uh, Parliament back apparently on Wednesday, so we've got Prime Minister's questions, presumably, uh, between Sir Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson. Of course, uh, we now are talking to Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. Uh, he wrote about many things at the weekend, but uh, I'm sure uh, that he will have plenty to say when I ask him this question. Uh, who on earth thought it was a good idea to give a knighthood to Sir Tony Blair? Peter. Well... I, I reached a stage some time ago where I, 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 I thought that knighthoods and indeed uh, peerages are, are things which a sensible person really ought to avoid. And I'm not going to name names, but quite a lot of people I've known since I, was, since, since I first came to Fleet Street have now become peers of the realm. Yeah. And a number of them become knights. And one also looks around at some of the showbiz knighthoods that are Award, and you think, well, wouldn't you be better off not uh, being like them? So I don't necessarily take it as a compliment. I, who, who, who really cared about this award? The fascinating thing about uh, about uh, Sir Anthony Blair's garter is that it came directly from Her Majesty the Queen, uh, thus I think destroying the last remaining illusions of conservative monarchists mm. such as I am uh, that the Queen herself uh, had seen through. Blair and, and had decided not to make this award to him at all, uh, which she could easily have done. And uh, it's not a government thing. But has she ever done that? Has she ever refused to, to, to knight someone? Well, the delay, the delay to his to his garter has been very long, but it's been much remarked upon that, mm. that so long after his his time in office, uh, he he still hadn't got it. Normally, you you, you wouldn't wait anything like that long. So mm. it, the, the people have speculated that there was some mm. there was some needle between Buckingham Palace and, and, and Blair, which had led to it. Well, if there is, it's over now. Uh, that seems to be the most interesting part of it. Uh, what, uh, it, doesn't make him any, it doesn't make him any safer. It doesn't make him any nicer. It doesn't make him any prettier. It doesn't make him any better. Mm. So, and I, and I personally don't envy him being a, a knight of the garter, and nor should any sensible people. I, I, these these honours seem to me to have got completely out of hand. The only ones that I ever take seriously are those awarded for, for actual acts of valour. Mm. Uh, they count. The rest of it is, is often Buggins' turn, Jobsworth stuff, which is really of no consequence. No, sure. so, 
but, but, but it sort of, but it, but it kind of, does it, does it not kind of give him a certain um, level of respect, which other people in other countries will look upon uh, as an improvement of his status, if you like, you know, oh, he's a knight oh, of the yes, realm. It, it, it will raise his, it will raise his price on the foreign markets beyond doubt. I think, he, I think he was already makes a substantial living giving, giving speeches to, to conventions of disinfection manufacturers and people like that. Yeah. Large. I don't know exactly what it is that he does. I remember <laughs> once, many years ago, going to a, a horrible thing. It's a, the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. I, I bought a ticket uh, to a, a Margaret Thatcher appearance. Yes. It was very embarrassing. It began with a sort of tootling rendition of God Save the Queen. And then on she came. And she hadn't, she, she, she wasn't at the height of her powers by then, but she made a, a fatuous speech. It was sort of vaguely patriotic nature. And everybody in the vast auditorium gave a standing ovation and whooped and shit. They haven't yeah. particularly liked it, but they, what they basically done, they'd gone to see this this major historical curiosity, mm. which she was. Yeah, uh, I don't think Blair is. I no, think he, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't really go a very long distance to see. Uh, seeing whatever else, he, but it, I mean, it may it may increase his value to somebody like J.P. Morgan, uh, for whom maybe so. Who I, 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 paid I, I, for quite I, a long time. As I said, I speculated a, a couple of weeks ago on the possibility that he might actually be hoping for a comeback, and indeed that the Labour Party might might eventually reach for him because I can't see any of their current generation of leaders no. doing it for them. And I maybe uh, maybe this is a this will help him in in that. I I wouldn't ever rule that possibility out. Uh, my late brother, and this is a, a completely different example, but he, when he was worked on the old Weekend World, mm. they did some pilot programs back in the very early years, and they they got in old Sir Oswald Mosley oh, yeah. uh, to interview him. And just before it started, Mosley, who was a sort of trembling heap of jelly by that stage, grey hair and twitching and a physical ruin, mm. said uh, to the interviewer, "Is there any chance at all this will ever be shown?" And they said, well, yes, they were lying, but they said, yes, Roswell And immediately he straightened up, uh, his, his, his dewlap solidified, his, 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 shoulders, his shoulders were braced. He, mm. he looked about 10 years younger. Wow. He still hoped after all that time that somehow or other he might yet get into power. Yeah. And I don't think it ever leaves any of them as long as, as, long as, as, long as they're alive. I don't think Blair gave up uh, Downing Street willingly. And I, no. I think if someone ever offered him the chance to go back, He'd take it, so mm. I would take this as a rather worrying sign that that that, that idea is still is still burning in his breast. Oh, I'm sure because they, all, they all have it. No, I mean they all have it, don't they? When you've watched, as I have, many prime ministers being dragged out of Downing Street, you know, um, unwillingly, they don't ever want to leave that job because, and I and I fear the same for Boris Johnson, who somehow thinks that he should leave, like they all do, some kind of legacy behind, which can only be behind this ridiculous green agenda of his, um, which is obviously being fed to him by Mrs. Johnson and various uh, Zach Goldsmith types around him. Um, so wants, yeah, I mean, he wants to be remembered as this great prime minister. They all do, and very few do. of them are. Well, what is, it, what, is, what, is, what is most of the pursuit of office about, apart from vanity? So what would you expect? Yeah. If you, if you wanted a bladder of vanity on a tremendous Olympic international scale, then, of course, Blair is the place to look. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it, it, I don't, don't rule out that it might be some part of that. He still keeps himself very trim, doesn't he? Oh, he does. And, uh, and he certainly got himself involved. He got himself very much involved in the sort of the booster argument, didn't he? Because he did an interview yeah. with uh, Times Radio uh, just before Christmas in which he said anyone who doesn't get vaccinated is an idiot. You know, he, keeps, 
he keeps intervening in, a, in, in what he's done as regards as a statesman right way. Mm. Because if he comes back, the whole of the rest of the, 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 the hedge come back as well. Oh, yes. All returns. And Peter Mandelson and all the rest of them come marching back. Imagine the joy that will fill the nation when that lot returns. Yeah. I, I say, don't rule it out. Look, no. at, look at Sir Starmer. Sir, Sir Keir Starmer, as we should say. After all, they're now both nice. <laughs> look at these two knights. And say which of them is more likely to lead the Labour Party? Yes. And the Labour Party will eventually cotton on to this fact. I think. Yes. It was what I was surprised by when I when I made some vague criticisms of him for being a, a, a warmonger and a, and, a, and a useless person over the weekend was how many uh, new Labour supporters wrote in with these long lists of what they regard as his great achievements. He is still admired. Oh yeah. By a surprising number of people. Mm. Oh, very much so. But, it, but, but it, which only goes to serve to, to see how many ways the Labour Party is now split. You know, you've got the ex-Corbynites who hate Keir Starmer and hate Blair even more. Uh, you've got the Blairites who are not sure about Starmer and certainly hate uh, Corbyn. And you've got Starmer who doesn't know which way to turn. Um, under those circumstances, you can't really see anything changing. Well, I'd say except, except unless in some really significant game-changer appears. And yeah. I say I fear... I fear this may be it. And, right. uh, and, and remember that I said it. Mock me if I turn out to be wrong. No, but listen. There hasn't been much mocking. I have to, have to say, there hasn't been much, mo has been much mocking. There hasn't been much mocking of the Hitchens predictions, I have to say. I mean, you never get into sage with your uh, level of accuracy, I'm afraid. Um, you're far too good at it. Well, there's always a first time. <laughs> well, good to see you, Peter. We'll be talking, I'm sure, some more over the course of this year. Let's hope, uh, even with his um, inbuilt pessimism, uh, that we will have a better outcome this year than we had last year. 2022, surely to God, has to be better than 2021. <laughs> Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice in for Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course. Jeremy Carl back from four. Uh, we've got, uh, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan as well uh, back at seven o'clock. And James Well from ten. And you can watch all of it right here uh, on Talk Radio TV. All you've got to do uh, is download the Talk Radio TV app from the App Store or go to the talkradio.tv page. You can watch us on Apple TV, on Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, and, of course, uh, Amazon Fire TV uh, as well. Now, before we talk about the school mask situation uh, basically what I want to do is play you out something that was said by Robert Halford this morning an MP of course who knows an awful lot about the education of our youngsters who talks an awful lot of sense who's quite critical often of the government his belief is that the reintroduction of mask wearing in classrooms which is what the government uh, has suggested they want to do um, is wrong and uh, he was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning she asked him whether he's been presented with any, any evidence at all that suggests that there's any benefit fit to any uh, mask wearing for children all day? Uh, secondly, we know uh, that wearing masks for children, survey after survey shows, there's evidence around the world from Belgium to Canada to the United States suggests that it has negative effects on their mental health, their well-being, um, their learning, their emotional development, even um, Mr. Van, Professor Van Tam, widely respected, he says that masks are quite inhibitory to the natural expressions of learning in children. The third thing I'd say is that the government seems to keep moving the goalposts. They say if we get vaccinated, we can get the schools open again. If um, children are vaccinated, we get the schools open again. I'm absolutely in favour of vaccination. 
But now this has all been done. Now our most teachers and support staff have been vaccinated. Many will have had the booster vaccination. Why are we forcing children to wear masks? And just the final thing I would say is this should not be a Hobson's choice. It's not should be we, we will keep the schools open if children wear masks. We keep the children open. We keep the schools full open. Because, full stop. Because we know the damage that it's been doing to children not being in school. And that is uh, Robert Halfen there making a great deal of sense. There's a lot of Tory MPs who think the government will actually reverse this. A lot of schools not back yet. Uh, they will be back before the end of this week, of course. If you've got kids uh, going to school, I'd like to know what you're being told, what you're hearing uh, from the school. A lot of children really not happy about wearing masks. A lot of them wear them because they feel they don't want to be uh, the odd one out, if you like, and an awful lot of them um, are not comfortable at all wearing them for the entire day. And I can't say I blame them. You know, people say, oh, it's not much of an inconvenience. Well, you try wearing a mask for seven hours uh, while you you're sitting uh, next to somebody breathing in uh, your own germs and breathing in um, sort of heat and wetness and moisture. It can't be pleasant and it's not good for the kids anyway. Everybody knows that. Um, and it's a nonsense to suggest that it's going to stop the spread of this Omicron virus anyway. Let's talk to Dr. Ros Jones, retired consultant, paediatrician, member of the health advisory and recovery team, uh, of course, as well. Uh, Ros, a very good morning to you. Well, happy new year. And to you too, Greg. Yes, you'd sort of like to think, would you not, that um, with the new year and the new um, sort of government attitude, if you like, to um, the, the way that this virus is going, they wouldn't be going backwards in schools because they don't appear to be going backwards outside of school. What's going on? I quite agree. I think it is so demoralising for children. I mean, the hearing them referred to as vectors and the whole way yeah. we've treated children in all of this has just been terrible. I was interested in, I mean, Robert Halfon's been fantastic. But yesterday, we quoted in the paper was Russell Viner, who's ex-president of the Royal College of Pediatrics, and he's a member of SAGE. And he was saying, oh, it's with a heavy heart that we're recommending this, but it's so important to keep schools open. I thought, well, if it's a heavy heart, mm. why are you doing this? And it, as you say, it's a total Hobson's choice. They can just keep schools open. They should stop testing healthy children. They should let the teachers who are fully vaccinated and boosted and heaven knows what should not be being led to feel worried about whether kids do or don't have this mild infection. And, you know, again, masks, they, they, the evidence that they actually have helped spread within schools is pretty well non-existent. Mm. I remember Julia pinning, trying to pin down the schools minister yes. a year ago to say, why have you changed the advice? Where's the new evidence? Right. She could not produce any. And then she said, oh, we've been advised. And she said, Julia's saying, have you not even got a shred of curiosity to ask what the advice is based on? And how about, if you really aren't sure, why don't you do a trial? They could have done a trial 15 months ago in which half the schools would have got masks for a month and half wouldn't. Yeah. And then maybe we'd have an answer. But the answer is now they're introducing these masks when we're past the peak. Yeah. So, of course, if they look in three weeks' time, they will say, oh, this is very successful. Look how it's come down. But already London is clearly a week past the peak um, and the rest of the country will be past the yeah. peak in the next few days. Also, as I've been saying for a very long time, Ross, I mean, it's not just about um, each individual situation, whether it be a school, whether it be public transport, whether it be, um, you know, shops. It's about surely changing the direction of the way the government reacts and making sure yeah. um, that as we move out of it, which I'm sure we're now doing, 
um, into a new kind of treatment of it, as opposed to locking everybody up every five minutes or being frightened of what might happen. Um, you know, we now have created a situation where teachers are worried because they're going to be pinged and they're going to have to stay home. You know, we're told that we can't go to hospital because there's not enough nurses to look after us, not because they're, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of COVID, but because there's a lot of nurses being told to, to isolate at home. So, you know, surely this is the time to, to use the schools as an example of how you can actually go back to normal. Absolutely. As I said, they stop routine testing of everybody in normal everyday life mm. for work or school, um, that would have a huge impact because the whole point about Omicron is it's just like a common cold anyway. Yeah. So most people who got it wouldn't need to take time off work right. if they hadn't had to do some tests. Right. Um, and really, I think the whole, the whole psychological impact, this is a way of yet again reinforcing fear, isn't it? It's telling children you are contagious, words like vector, um, and if you don't do this, you'll infect your teacher who might be vulnerable. And it's, well, what is the end game? I saw a letter from a head teacher yesterday to yeah. his local conservative association was resigning and saying, you know, how are we not going to be doing this every winter for the rest of time? Yeah. Every year, there'll be some virus around, there'll be flu next year or who knows. And the, the evidence that this does not, I mean, it does more harm than good in educational and emotional terms quite apart from in infection terms also doesn't it also in terms of young minds does it not also kind of reinforce the fear from, from some young people's perspective that there is something to be frightened of that there is something to be oh, scared of that you must be protected from this otherwise why would yeah. they be asking you to wear this mask yes and i think if you look back on sage minutes you know the the reasoning the main reasoning for introducing masks was not about infection control. It was clearly stated that it was about in, in, improving compliance in general yeah. because it gives a constant reminder. And, and and yesterday I saw somebody regurgitating that, saying all sorts of reasons, and then saying, but, you know, the most important thing is it reminds children about the virus and the importance of hand hygiene and self, yeah. uh, you know, isolation and social distancing. And in other words, it's just continuing to reinforce fear. And at some stage, we need a positive messaging you know they, they had no exit strategy mm. for the fear management no so where are we going to start actually saying to kids this is great as you say it could have been a new year that the suggestion from uh, south africa when this variant came along was that it was very contagious but much milder and it could actually spend spell the end to the pandemic it could be a great um moment and they have as far as i understand it now said the pandemic is over They've stopped track and trace. The only testing they're doing is back to what we did right at the beginning, which is for people going to hospital. Yeah. Um, and we could do the same. We could just say, fantastic, good news for the new year. You could have looked at Boris's new year message. It could have been so different. Well, I mean, his main new year message seems to be get your booster. And I'm so sick yeah, of hearing he that. that's more effective than losing weight. I'm not sure that he's right there. But, um, you know, the, the evidence for the boosters for young, healthy people who have had a their second dose less you know only three months ago there's no evidence that it's going to do them any any benefit at all right and the infection for omicron seems to be higher amongst the people who are triple vaccinated and yes it may give you some protection against serious disease but if you're at low risk of serious disease because you're young and healthy then you know what is it doing how are we going to be on boosters for every four months yeah. for the next 10 years and also what is the Not legal position right because as far as i understand it 
if you wish to wear a mask, that's fine. Uh, they can tell you as you go into a shop that you should wear a mask. But if you say that you're exempt, they have no reason to challenge you. They have no reason to say, why are you exempt? Where, where's your lanyard, right? But as far as I know, yeah. some schools are, are demanding that if you are exempt, you must explain why, and they will give you a lanyard. And if you are challenged by a teacher at any point during your time on the school campus, um, you must put up with them asking you questions which in the outside world, outside of a school, you wouldn't be able to ask. No, I think that's absolutely right. And that's been clear last year. There were children being you know, put to sit at the back of the corner of the room and yeah. all sorts of different you know, uh, criticisms were being made. But also, I think the other difference, of course, is that this is not mandatory. The, no. the In masks on buses and in shops was introduced by law in December with a parliamentary vote. And even for that, you can have an exemption. Yes, but the point is, is that if you get... If declare. Yeah, but they don't yeah. have... A, but nobody has a right to say to you... No, absolutely. Please tell me but why you're schools, exempt. And so the yeah, schools absolutely. don't either. But the schools don't even have to do it anyway because there hasn't even been a parliamentary vote. No. So for schools, it's not even a legal requirement. It's only guidance anyway. So for guidance, to be honest, you could just go and you don't, you shouldn't need to have an exemption. You could just say, oh, actually, I prefer not to wear a mask. Thank you mm. very much. Yes, indeed. But if you did have an exemption and you did say as a, as a pupil, I have an exemption, they can't, yeah. they, by law, they cannot ask you. So I think schools have to be very careful here yeah. uh, with some yeah. of the, the letters they're sending out to people and p to parents, basically threatening them, saying that if your yeah. child does not comply, there could be a problem. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think the trouble is for kids, as you say, most kids, they, you know, we think of them as being a bit wild teenagers, but they're very much involved in peer support and they want to be part of the group and they don't want to step out of line it's really hard um and th for them to actually stand up and say no i don't want to wear a mask um which is of course ideally if enough people just said oh for goodness sake this is ridiculous it would all be over it really would. Well, let's hope that uh, pressure can be brought to bear and these uh, people that run the schools that seem to want to keep these ridiculous restrictions going uh, will actually finally get the message that we don't want that. And we don't want yeah. to have the tail wagging the dog as far as the unions are concerned. Mm. And the, surely the most important people in the school are not the teachers, they're the children. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you look also at the overall data, I mean, deaths are still coming down. Intensive care ventilator occupied beds are coming down. All the evidence is that a micron is mild yeah. and we should be just going back to normal. I think you're absolutely right. Dr. Ros Jones, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Retired consultant, paediatrician, member of the health advisory and recovery team, of course, as well. Uh, we've got much more to do. We're going to talk energy coming up in the next hour. We'll take some calls as well, because a lot of you have things to tell me about coming back from abroad, uh, about what you're seeing out there in terms of the numbers of people who are out and about, the numbers of people who are off because, of course, uh, they're public sector workers and they can't possibly go to work because uh, they're waiting for the result of a test or they've had a positive test or they're self-isolating. It seems to be affecting the NHS. It seems to be affecting train services. It seems to be affecting uh, local councils as well. What a surprise. How extraordinary. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.